Hey, everybody. Hey, this is a big week. Uh, if, if you're just kind of, well, maybe you're, you're coming to church for the first time, tuning in for the first time, and uh, we as a church have been talking about leading into Easter, which we are now entering Easter week where we celebrate uh, Jesus coming back to life, but what that means to us and how big of a deal that is. We celebrate it, but we've, we've been prepping ourselves for it. So what I'm going to do today is I think the goal is to set us up to where we go into Easter right. Like we're, we're set up to, to experience it. Uh, so if you're new, don't worry. You're gonna, this should make sense in theory. I'll ask my wife later if it made sense. But first, we've got to start with a test. I know you're like, yeah. you got to start with a test. It's an easy test. I promise you it's an easy test. Um, I, all I, and I, some of you think I'm setting you up. I'm not. Like, all I, here's the test. Like, what is this? Basketball court. Good job. See, you're already doing well. You're doing well. Okay, let's try this. Try this a different one. Uh, what's this? Beach, ocean. We're getting different words. I know, but it's all. It's you know what? I'm gonna be a nice teacher. Uh, it's both correct. It is the ocean. It is the beach. It is a seat. And yeah, you're doing so well. Okay, let's let's do let's do another one. You know what it is? Yeah. Good job. Some of you are like outside. Good job. Good job. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that as an option, but it is, it is in fact, outside. Uh, uh, Black Hills, Custer State Park, there's, there's a lot of words you could actually use to describe this. I, I want to show you that you have a way of thinking. I know that you know that you have a way of thinking. If you're married, you've been told that you have a way of thinking, right? I, I know I, you have a way of thinking. And if you can understand the Bible, specifically where we're going to go today, you have to recognize that you and I have a way of thinking that sometimes becomes a hurdle when understanding what Jesus wants us to understand, okay? So, class, we're going to review. Most of us said this is a basketball court, basketball gym, an arena. Some of you just said sports, okay? When I was three years old, our family moved to a place called Topeka, Kansas, I grew up a lot in Kansas, especially formative years, elementary. And when I was three, I was introduced to Kansas Jayhawk basketball. Now, I was not introduced to the fact that they also had a football team, and there's a reason, because their football team's atrocious. <laughs> so I grew up loving not just the game of basketball, but particularly Kansas Jayhawk basketball. I watched as a kid, and in fact, it got such a, to be a, such a big deal. Um, the newspaper did a story on our family one time because they knew that, well, when we, at the time we were living in Indiana, they're like, there's Kansas fans. That's weird. And so they began to even come and interview us. It's all weird. But I grew up, and one of the greatest things that could ever happen as a kid growing up was if the Kansas Jayhawks made it to what's called the Final Four. I know some of you are like, we don't watch sports. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, in college basketball, that is like the thing. And this past week, the Kansas Jayhawks on this particular basketball floor won the national championship. Now, I know most of you are like, I could care less. But all I'm trying to point out is when you see basketball court, I see childhood dream coming to fruition. And if you had seen me during the game, which I'm glad you didn't, especially the first half, you'd be like, you can no longer be our pastor. I'm sorry. You disqualified yourself in that. Okay, but I'm telling you, it's such a big deal. I'm watching, I'm, my three-year-old is on 
top of the coffee table. It's fine during games, and I'm screaming. We're giving high fives. I'm like, I'm glad you're not, your mom's not with us right now, but they, we're screaming. It's awesome. So when I see that court, you got to know there's tons of emotions. It is a dream come true. I know some of you are like, still doesn't land. Okay. Let's go to the beach. Now, some of us love the beach. Some of you love mountains and stuff like that. I love the beach, but when I see the beach, I don't just see sand and a seat. Our family uh, has gathered with other family almost every year at the beach because the beach is a big deal to us. And one of the things I do every vacation is uh, for a couple hours, I go on a walk with my dad on the beach. It's typically two hours, and we go slow, and we talk about anything and everything. So when I see the beach, I don't just see what's around. It represents some incredibly awesome connecting time with my dad, but also my kids and my bride. We sit there, let the water hit us, and it's just so awesome. But to me, when I see it, I have all the feels. So I would describe it differently than just the beach. Uh, The Black Hills. Anytime we drive throughout the Black Hills, I mean, we love it, I love it. But I know that when my wife is having a day, I can see it on her face, and I'll go up and say, like, she's having a stressful moment or there's some stuff going on. I will look at her and say, hey, sweetie, you need to get away from me, right? (laughs) And what I'm meaning is, is you need to get out into the hills. She loves the hills. She'll go on hikes and just has this often just by herself quiet time and when she comes back no joke she is so rejuvenated it's absolutely amazing so when I show you a picture of the black hills you might just see the trees or whatever to me I see that's the place my wife goes and it does something for her that is special I'm trying to show you that when you and I see things and talk about things you might have a different thing going on in your head than I do all that to say, I want to talk to you about the science of this or, or this, the cultural study of this is Greco-Roman thinking versus Semitic thinking. If you're unfamiliar with Semitic thinking, think scripture, mostly this Jewish way of thought and their culture. So let's talk about this table. Uh, Greco-Roman thinking, which is well, you and I mostly, structure and form. Um, in other words, if I were to say, hey, describe this for me, you'd be like, it's a table, David. And I'm like, well, tell me some more detail. And you might say, based on whatever you see first, well, it's a rectangle. <clears throat> Good job. Uh, it's got four legs. You, maybe some of you are like, it's fake wood, or you might even know where it came from, or maybe, it, but think about how you would describe the table if I were to ask you to describe the table. Most of us would talk about what we physically see. Semitic thinking would tell you about the function of it. They would not describe to you. Well, it's, it's brown. They would tell you about it's where we eat. In fact, if you were to talk to a Jewish person, especially those during Jesus' time, and say, what is this? They would say, this is where we connect with each other. They wouldn't bother to mess with, well, here's the color of it, or here's the legs, or it's round, or it's square, or rectangle. They would tell you uh, what happens at the place. It's why, if you've ever been frustrated by this, I know you've seen pictures, but don't let me break your heart. Uh, We don't know what Jesus looked like, like in specific detail. I don't know if you've ever read the Bible where the Bible doesn't really tell you, oh, Jesus was blonde-haired, blue-eyed. No, 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 he didn't know. The Bible doesn't give description of Jesus, not because they were trying to be mean and just leave us wanting. It just wasn't a big deal. That's why the Bible talks about Jesus as a rabbi, what he did. 
You gotta know this because as a church, we've been talking about the way, following the way of Jesus, not the religion of Jesus, the way of Jesus. We gotta talk about this going into Easter because there's a danger that you and I have that we could accidentally get into Easter thinking we're showing up for a ritual and a religion and we gotta do our duty where I think Jesus is inviting us into a way. And we've talked about a lot of things so far, but we're gonna land with, well, what's obvious? The way of the table. And I had to do all that description for all of us, including myself, because if I were to talk to you about the way of the table, many of us are gonna battle the rest of the entire sermon. He's talking about our dinner time? Is that what, he, is that what, he, was that what it was? And in part, yeah, sure, this will affect your dinner time or your lunch time or breakfast time. Sure, sure. But that's not the heart of this. Jesus introduced us to something that was already going on in their culture, the way of the table. There's a couple of things I wanna highlight. I'm gonna start off with the easiest one, okay? The easiest one. The table represents provision. Many of us might have been raised in a family where you maybe even addressed provision. You talked about what was going on at the table. Typically, food. Yeah? Is that what you typically do at a table? It's what I do. Eat food. And I always think about donuts when I think about food. So anyways. So let me, let me just show you some examples. Is if you're interested in following the way of Jesus... This is one of the big things, I think, that actually we're missing. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. (laughs) I love where Jesus would say things going, this is really going to mess with them. Right? If you don't know the story, uh, you can follow on the verses, I think verse 20. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over, right? Uh, The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Don't get offended by it. It's just how they talked back then, and it's what they addressed. The women did not uh, get appreciated for what they should get appreciated for and all that, but so they would count people typically, like we're going to count all the gods, and then everyone else. What I want you to see is that just a little bit of food fed 5,000 people plus some. You got that? Very simple. Put provision. Showing you evidence of Jesus cares about provision, the way of the table. If you go to the next chapter, there'll be what feels like a repeat, but it's not. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. And look what happens. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 men besides women and children. 4,000 plus, you got this? Now, (laughs) I went to school just like you did. I paid attention for approximately 10% of the class, okay? And I always have sympathy for if that's you. So uh, here, we'll have a bit of a review of what I just read to you and talked to you about. Uh, Matthew 14 told us the 5,000 plus people, women and children, five loaves of bread, two fish fed that many people. That's insane, is it not? I mean, I can't make you believe this, but there is so much documentation, historical data on this, that this really happened. That is a ton of people. Most of us, if we were in that setting, would have been like, this is the one story about Jesus that I'm gonna tell anyone and everyone. It will blow your mind. And we would have been like, I was there. 
And I read to you about Matthew 15, 4,000 plus people, seven loaves of bread, three fish. Would blow your mind, would it not? And, and we, we, we do this, we, most of us, if you grew up in church, you've heard this story, this is one of those stories you're like, man, I wish I had been at that table, wow. Like, if you were like, what's he doing? I, we, there's no way that feeds like 10,000 people. Wasn't there just a couple fish? Some, a little bit of bread? How is there enough? And if you were there witnessing it, and you even partook, if you actually like, had some of it, you would be like, I am telling my kids, my grand, this is, I'm going to tell this story so much, they're going to make fun of me. Epic provision. I wonder why we've stopped. The way of the table acknowledges our need for provision. And I'm just going to speak to us as Americans. We, I think, are taking for granted the provision God is bestowing in our lives. And in doing so, you begin to separate yourself from the way of the table because you begin to think, no, you're the one who got your job and earned your paycheck and went to the grocery store and put the food where you got the food and you're the one who did it. And oftentimes we'll find ourselves at literal tables going, you know, I sure like this. Maybe I don't actually like this. And my kids will be like, I don't know if I'm going to eat it. Like, yo, you're eating it. And do you, I wonder if we have lost the significance of any time you and I ever see or taste provision, how amazing that is. Let me show you how I see it. I'm not trying to add to the Bible, but this is our family, the Canaan fam, okay? We have not, not as many people in our home, but we have six people plus the dog. I need to bring up the dog because the dog eats at the dinner table because we have a three-year-old. That's, it, it's not on purpose, but we can't seem to stop it. It's funny to bow. Um, so I bring up a dog. Now, I don't, we don't have a cat because Genesis talks about how humankind is supposed to take care of animals, and I don't want to take care of a cat, so we don't own a cat because I would be defying Scripture. Anyways, so all that to say, I want you just to see the makeup that I think is amazing, and I want all my family to get this. Now, this is going to sound braggadocious, but I just got to say, it. I'm going to be very vulnerable with you. In our home, we have a refrigerator. I know. Some of you are like, oh, living the high life. You better believe it. We have a refrigerator, and I don't mean to like really like make you feel like, like wanting, but our refrigerator actually has two sections. One like refrigerates, but there's even a freezer section Isn't that amazing? You're looking at me like it's, no, baby. Okay, this will tip it over. This is what, some of you are going to leave the church because of this. You're like, man, he just has too much. We have what I call a pantry. It's like where you, it's more food. The dry stuff. The snacks I steal from the kids. Kind of like that. It's, 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 uh, it's got more food there. That's all in our home. It's in my home you don't seem to care. Some of you are going, does he know that we also have a fridge in our, in our garage? Right? That's what we do with our broken fridges that weren't really broken. Anyways, uh, but why 
Why are we not seeing that as a massive miracle? I'm not suggesting we all get rid of our fridges and freezers and whatever and say, I, I got to live this way. Who knows where it's coming from? Um, I'm saying I think we got to be better the way of the table and the way of the table, the way Jesus talked even when he, before he would do this miracle. He, would, he talks about how he would bless it. And I, think, I think we need to return to acknowledging the provision that we have as a way of the table, saying, you know what, God is good. Anything that is good comes from God, and God has provided this. The way of the table is very simple in that fact, right? And I know some of you, it's kind of become a trend where it's not cool anymore to pray before you eat. Uh, even in some of the circles I run in, like, We'll just start digging in, you know? And it's like, you know, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I know the theology of Scripture, and uh, I don't have to pray and thank God in order for me to not to choke on this food. And, and technically, you're right. In fact, it, can we admit that sometimes it's weird when you know what you're about to eat? Like, you're looking at the grease trap that you're about to ingest, and you're like, God bless this. You're like, there's no way he's blessing this. There's absolutely no way. Speaking of donuts, I have, I have eaten multiple donuts before. We've prayed before, and they're like, I'm not sure God even condones this moment, <laughs> right? But I'm telling you, praying before a meal, praying before you are provided for, is not so that you become a good ritualistic Christian where you're like, you want to make sure that we do the right thing. It's where you acknowledge that the godliness that we're called to is to acknowledge that we follow and serve a God. And he's the almighty provider. And I know this seems so simple, and maybe it seems mundane to you, but it's why as a family, we pray before our meals, not trying to teach my kids, this is what good Christians do. It's because uh, what they haven't experienced in their lives yet is there were days that Katie and I weren't quite sure where the next meal would come from. And I am fully aware by personal stories that we have a provider. And so every meal I eat, even at a restaurant, we stop for a moment. Now, we've trained the kids, right? Not long prayers. This is not a time for a long prayer. Some of you like to pray a long time. Good for you. You're more spiritual. But again, don't be literal with the table. Perhaps this is even when you get your paycheck or you acknowledge it has been put into your bank account where you just take a moment and say, God, thanks for providing again. It's the way of the, the table where you acknowledge that provision is a big deal. The way of the table acknowledges this over and over. I need provided for. The way of the table acknowledges that and says, I must be provided for. I need God. That's the way of the table. Now, that's not even the whole sermon. That's actually not even what I want to lean on. I just thought, I see that missing in a lot of our lives, and as an American, I have a tendency to think like you think, going, you know, I know where lunch is coming from or dinner's coming from, right? You begin to think, I know what's happening. Some of you, you plan out your meal so far in advance, you're like, oh, I know what we're having, right? But let's be a group of people that says, Whenever we are provided for, we know that it's God that did it. The way of the table. But now I want to I really lead us into Easter. The table is a place of uh, restoration. I would argue that the table 
the posture of the table is extremely holy. And one of the best ways to model the way of Jesus is this. Let me show you this. All throughout the Bible, even like pre, pre-Jesus walking on earth, Genesis 26 tells us they answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you, so we said there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, a treaty. Between us and you, let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Notice the meal. Notice the table. Now some of you are like, does it mention a table, David? Again, don't think Greco-Roman. You got to think about what's going on, and there was a meal provided. A meal setting up a treaty. Psalm 23, a lot of you have this memorized. Psalm 23, inside of Psalm 23, perhaps the most popular psalm, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Can I just tell you as a kid how I read this? I was like, that sounds amazing. So I get to pick all the people I hate, and God's going to get me all my favorite food, and I get to eat it in front of them. <laughs> this is my favorite psalm, right? Anyone else read it? You willing to admit that? right, that's, how, that's how I read it. That's not how it's intended. He's writing saying that um, I've got enemies. I've got people that I'm against and that are against me. So God, I need your help. I need you to gather us at the table and help me get restoration. Psalm 23 is beautiful. Some of you, this messes with you because you're like, there's people I don't want on my table. Well, you're not new to that. If you struggle with the idea of seeking restoration or, or grace and mercy with other people, I understand that. That's normal. I can take you into Jesus' life. Let's go right into Jesus' life here. Uh, while, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors, which if you're new to the Bible, tax collectors, I mean, no, most of us know, like, I love giving taxes, right? Same back then. Like, uh, and typically tax collectors would steal from people. They would char- overcharge people because, and they would take that off the top. So Jesus is having dinner at Matthew's house with many tax collectors and sinners came and, and ate with him as disciples. Now you gotta know the original word here. The original word in the Greek about sinners isn't just like sinners because some of us are like, well, I'm a sinner. I mean, I, I, I've screwed up. The original Greek word here alludes to these weren't just sinners. These were people who were sinning against God and had no shame in it, did not care, and they were gonna keep going. If you know anybody in your life that you might even call like saying, yeah, they're doing wrong things and they don't even care that they're doing wrong things. They're doing bad things and they don't even care that they're doing bad things. It's those kinds of people that Jesus finds himself. We find in scripture, this is evidence that Jesus is like, let's have dinner. You're not making this personal enough. Who'd you vote for? And can the other person sit at your table? Who's hurt you? Are they allowed to be at your table? Or does your table have to have people that believe what you believe, see what you see, like what you like, do what you do? We find Jesus having a meal with people by description with his disciples who he's training and and leading but make sure to, to catch what, what Matthew's telling us. And there were some people at dinner. And if you want to know how this flew, you're like, that must have been socially acceptable. 
Well, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Notice they don't say, why does your teacher eat with his disciples? No, they got a problem with who Jesus is eating with. They have a problem with who Jesus is allowing to have a seat at the table. Welcome to society. To where the new trend is not just to cancel people you don't like, but to look at who is around you, and we start canceling people around you. Are you a person who says, yeah, you can sit, you can sit, but you, no, 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 you don't get a seat at my table. I'm just showing you an example of Jesus. Uh, one of the most special places I've ever been to in my life uh, is in Israel, and it is at a beach. <laughs> John 21 tells us about this place. Uh, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize uh, that it was Jesus. Now, just to give you context, Jesus has come back to life. They, they are aware that he has died, and he's come back to life. And so they're not expecting him, and not only that, they're at work. They're, they're now fishing, and things are not going fantastically, and Jesus is standing there on the beach. You can go to this beach. It's incredible when you know the story behind it, and he's observing his disciples fish. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Uh, he knew. It's so annoying, but he knew. No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. And you'll find some. If you've ever fished and someone said, oh, you need to move your lure six feet, you'd be like, you're crazy. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And that's when I clicked. They're like, that's not a normal dude right there. And in fact, the way you can read the story yourself, uh, Peter like, is so excited that he realizes this is Jesus. Peter uh, jumps out of the boat, <laughs> just starts swimming, not really thinking, hey, it probably was faster if you had just like, taken the boat. Right? He's so excited, and, and, and they get in, and, and look, look what Jesus does. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it. The table. And some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. What a nice guy, huh? He's already cooking. No. The way of the table creates a place for restoration. And do not miss the moment that's going on that you may not be aware of, so let me help here. I mentioned Peter. Peter's the guy that denied knowing Jesus. So what we know is at this moment, there is a problem between Jesus and Peter. There's a relationship breakdown. If you ever had a friend on multiple times say that they did not know you, did not like you, weren't around you at all, denying they even know who you are, that would create a bit of a relational issue between the two of you. Based on geography, when Peter was denying Jesus, we believe Jesus could have overheard those denials. Imagine how painful that was. And so we pick this up, and Jesus is encountering a guy that has betrayed him. Think about the last time you encountered someone who's betrayed you. Woo! <laughs> I did not make them a meal. 
but we find Jesus not just saying, hey, dude, no big deal, no big deal, no big deal. I already told you you'd do it. I know it. <laughs> Jesus is specifically saying, come to the table, the way of the table. And it's right after that that Jesus not only extends his forgiveness, but tells Peter, hey, uh, I want you a major part of the church. Do you know what churches are typically known for? Making sure people don't feel welcome. Would you agree with me on this? It might not be, hopefully not your home church right now. Hopefully it's not. But can we say that many of us know stories of where Christians are known as judgmental and churches are known as the least welcoming environment that you could ever walk into? Yet Jesus is giving us this example of going, he's, he's got the bad people, the wrong people, the, the people that society doesn't like, but he's even got the people that have hurt him and he's at the, at the table. It's a big deal. So here's your lesson, the table isn't the focus, God is. Do you have the way of the table in your life? Do you have a seat open for someone, whether they've hurt you or you don't even know them? Let me speak very candidly. In June of 2008, our family moved from Kansas to South Dakota, scared out of our minds. The reason we moved was because God asked us to move. There's a whole story there. We don't have time for it. But what preceded that was when I was a kid, God asked me in, in some dreams and even in some, I was listening to some sermons, to, to spend the rest of my life um, being a pastor, helping people know who Jesus is. And I tried to run from that very unsuccessfully, as you can see. I can tell you when it clicked what I wanted to spend the rest of my life doing. It's when I finally understood what God was asking me to do. He was asking me to spend the rest of my life making sure there were enough seats at his table. That it's not my job to make sure, hey, I sure hope the table conversation went well. I mean, do you agree? Do you like everything that Jesus said? No, no. <laughs> it's not my job to fix everybody or anything. But my role as a pastor, but even bigger than this, as a follower of Jesus Christ, is paying attention to, are there enough seats? That's why God is the focus here. So you might wonder, like, we do things as a church, you need to know why we do it, because this is a big deal. Like, why do we, why do we change service times? You're like, that's annoying. Come on. We had it timed out perfectly. Like, when are we gonna eat breakfast or lunch or where we're going here in the game? Dave, do you know when the games start? Come on. I know all that's going on. But I know if you and I will adjust our schedules, you know what happens, right? More seats at the table. Uh, East is even having to deal with this. Sorry, East. Uh, for Easter, we've even added, uh, for Easter, a, a Saturday service at East. They don't typically have a Saturday service for Easter. And they're like, that's weird, I know. But we had seats. 
If you're ever like, what was on behind the curtain at Fountain Springs Church? Well, one, we don't have a curtain because that would be weird and like Wizard of Oz. <laughs> and I grew up around it now. It is the heart of our church that if you want to come hear about Jesus, if you want to worship, there's going to be a parking spot for you and there's going to be a seat for you. The way of the table. Perhaps you would be willing to have this be a part in your life. The way of the table. Here in a moment, um, we're going to have communion together. But again, that can dangerously get to ritual, can't it? You're like, oh good, finally communion. I've been needing my communion. Good, good. But I want us to see communion for what it really is. You do know that it was at a table. And a meal was going on. And I would never, as one of your pastors, ever ask you to make a seat for someone. To, I don't want you to play church. I don't want you to make a seat for someone. I don't want you inviting someone to church because you feel like it's your duty or that it makes you a good Christian or God's gonna like you extra special. You know how, why we should do this? is because we know our own grace that we've received. If you know your grace, you know what you're gonna do? Spill it over. You're gonna give grace to other people. So, uh, to lead us into this, uh, let me take you to where one of the places the Bible talks about this. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. If that's new to you, that's weird. Can I address this? Yeah? Like, that he's, they're at a meal, and you got Jesus, the rabbi, the Messiah, the Savior, going, Hey, so every time you eat of this, he breaks bread, this is my body. Most of us are like, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm gone. That's, this is weird. And you might be able to make a connection. Some people think, oh, I bet he's referring to uh, when, when his body would be beaten, what you and I would call would be broken. Other theologians believe, though, that there's this curtain in the temple at that time the curtain signified on one side was the presence of God, on the other side was where people could go. You could never enter the presence of God. You would just like show up and you, you actually did see this curtain. <laughs> and you can read in the Bible and actually even other historical documents that when Jesus dies, that curtain is torn. And in scripture, that curtain was referred to as the body of the Messiah. However you interpret this, Jesus is presenting to us, and this will mess with some of us. He's saying not just in church. You don't have to wait for church to have communion. I know that will shock you. Again, we can have a conversation later. But when you eat, he breaks this bread. He says, I want you to know I'm about to give you access to the Father. And then, uh, then he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for the, for the many for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus is at the table and he's about to die. He's about to give access to the Father. He's about to not only just give access but prepare a way to make sure that sins could be forgiven so that we could not just spend eternity or just spend a moment but spend eternity with him. I know a lot of us think that this moment is about heaven. I would disagree. I think this is more about eternity than it is about heaven. Many of us are caught up in heaven. Heaven's gonna be fantastic. Kansas Jayhawks are gonna win every year. 
now. Now this is about forgiveness and restoration and relationship with God Almighty. And he's saying, I am the way. So when we take communion, we don't do so as a ritual, even though it does become one. We do so because we understand we need grace and we get grace. I pray this, that over this next Easter week, that you will consider the way of the table. Perhaps where you just give thanks to God more often, but maybe where you recognize that you have grace and others need it. And that a seat is always worth creating, but let's not go there yet before we remember that God sees us and he's provided grace for us, okay? So, let me pray for us and that will lead us into a time of communion. Heavenly Father, thanks for letting us worship you today. Thanks for letting us speak to you. Thanks for letting us hear from you. God, thanks for your grace and your mercy. I would imagine that every single one of us has multiple moments where we would say, oh, I didn't deserve forgiveness there, but God gave it to me. God, thank you for the over and over unending mercies. Lord, we're gonna remember, we're gonna remember what you have done and we don't do so lightly. Lord, would you use this church as a place that does create seats for people, a church that, that brings grace and mercy into any environment that we're ever in. God, would you use us to do whatever work you've got called for us to do. Lord, would you enable us, equip us, empower us, lead us, give us wisdom and discernment. God, would you make us a church that is what you want church to be. God, would you make us a group of people who never forgets the grace that we have received. But God, in this moment, before we ever do anything, we just want to receive. So we acknowledge that we need your forgiveness. And we have accepted it, God, and we are grateful. We love you with all of our hearts. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who died for us, Thank you. Amen.